This is the Larry and Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. My guest today will be Scott Fadness, Mayor of Fishers. He's been on podcast many times here uh, before me. But we have Dustin Washington with us this time from his office in Seattle, Washington. He is a senior consultant with a lot of experience in anti-racist education who will be conducting the, and has been, and will be conducting classes called Interrupting Racism. So Scott, welcome back. And Dustin, welcome. Great to talk to you both. Thank you, Larry. Uh, I'm going to pose the first question to the mayor. Mayor, I know that you have been talking about an initiative centered on race relations uh, for many months. It goes back to at least last year. So explain to people why you believe Fishers needs this initiative at this time. Well, I think it it started for me probably a year and a half or two years ago um, around a series of interactions that I had. Uh, First and foremost, I had seen some troubling things happen in our community around uh, race relations and you couple that with the fact that our community is becoming more and more diverse all the time. And I really felt as though we needed to work hard to identify a path forward around race relationships so that our community could be a city that defies the national narrative that maybe just maybe it's an audacious goal that in the city of Fishers, uh, black and white people can figure out how to live collectively and well together and people of all colors can. And um, and so that really started me on this journey around race relations that's been ongoing now for the better part of a year and a half. Let me bring Dustin in here because, Dustin, the title of your program is Interrupting Racism. And uh, to me, the word interrupting is the key word in that title. Explain to me why you chose that name. Well, that's a good question, Larry. You know, racism is something that has been um, hardwired into our uh, collective program, if you will, in this country. All of us have downloaded uh, notions of race and racism that don't serve us living up to our fullest human potential. So the, the underlying spirit of the Interrupting Racism Workshop is for us to begin to interrupt those narratives that keep us from creating the the beloved community that Scott just alluded to and interrupting uh, ideas of race and racism on an individual level that keeps us from being in what we would call self-solidarity, living at our highest level of humanity. And so we're really interrupting narratives that serve to disempower all of us in ways that are seen clearly and oftentimes in ways that are incredibly unseen. So bringing light through the interruption process. And and th- having been through your program, I, I do know that uh, it is centered a lot on, you call it hardwired, yet uh, our, our, our culture, our social media, our media in general, what we take in every day, uh, has an impact on us. Explain how, how, you, in, how you try to explain to people how to deal with all these messages that are embedded in us, whether we like it or not. Sure. Well, the first step is first understanding that we've all been socialized. And when we think about the socialization process that all of us go through, you know, in many ways, that's the great unexamined uh, in our society, in our lives. You know, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. And so we begin with helping people to understand first that we're all socialized. We've all been given messages, you know, from our families, from our religion, 
uh, from schools, from media, uh, all the institutions that impact us, we're all getting messages from a very young age. And those messages start to create a sense of what's normal and what's acceptable. And when we put that in the context of race and racism, what has been normalized and acceptable are the, the disparities that we see across every system. If we look across every system in this country, we will see that black people and other peoples of color are faring worse than white people. We've also received messages of whose lives are worthy, valuable, whose lives are not. And those messages lay within our subconscious mind. Those aren't messages that we're conscious of. Most of us consciously want to be uh, really good people, but they're there's stuff going on in our subconscious mind, which really runs a show of our lives. And the only way we can get to creating meaningful equity in our society is, is beginning to understand first, number one, that we've been socialized. None of us are immune from that socialization. Number two, understanding that things are coming up from our subconscious that we're not clear about that's helping to perpetuate inequities. And once we begin to have that conversation, then we can have, begin to have a conversation of making you know, policy level changes and things of that sort. So the socialization process is the, the, the beginning of the conversation. Can you give us, and I know that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big concept you're explaining to us. Could you give maybe one or two examples of how we get socialized in this way? Well, absolutely. So I think about my childhood. It, 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 you know, in many ways, like many of us, I was raised by the TV. You know, I was a big consumer of television. So when I go back to my childhood, there was very few images of black people in the media. You know, the images commonly that we would see was either we were portrayed as shucking and jiving, maybe, you know, playing some sports. And often uh, we would be portrayed as criminals and things of that nature, right? So you think about that. That's Those are the messages we're getting over and over and over. And on the other side of that, you would see white people being portrayed in the media uh, in every way possible, shown as full, actualized human beings. And so subconsciously now of course i was getting messages from my family you know that as as african americans as black people we're as good as anybody else i was getting those messages but the predominant messages i was getting on a subconscious level was around black people and other peoples of color being less and i think about you know my grandfather's a big fan of Westerns, so I grew up watching a lot of Westerns. And those Westerns, uh, indigenous people, Native American people were portrayed as savages. You know, the, the white cowboys or cavalry officers were portrayed as heroes, right? Now, that will give you a message around the worth and value, both of Native American people and the worth and value of, you know, white people in that context, you know, Western movies. And so those messages are very subtle, but those messages definitely lay within our subconscious mind and start to shape how we will relate to each other uh, on a day-to-day basis. So that's just one example, but there's countless examples. Yeah, those old Westerns are a great example. Uh, Mayor Fadness, let me bring you back into this. You referred to the national narrative on race. How would you describe that? And and I assume you're talking about it well before the George Floyd and the, the most recent racial incidents in our country. Tell us what you mean when you say that. Well, it depends on how much time you have, Larry. Um, it's a it's a big, big, heavy conversation. But to be honest with you, and this would probably be a bit controversial, I think the national narrative on race and race relations um, is a bit intellectually lazy. Um, it, it it has it's emotionally charged on both sides of it. Yet the work, like the hard work that needs to be done and, and the creativity and the humility 
that has to go into helping each and every individual reach their full human potential um, has very seldom, it very seldom ever takes place in, the, in this conversation. We never get beyond people's own personal emotions or the projections of whatever is going on in, in their mind. And um, so for me, when I first met Dustin and went through his program, what was refreshing and challenging all in the same for me was this idea that um, I have to understand the historical context. I really, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to understand the context for which you find yourself and how that environment, that context influences the way that you think and perceive things. And if, if we can get more people willing to do that, um, then the solutions won't be so difficult to find and, and getting people to change uh, potentially may not be as hard. And so it, it was just this whole attempt was to try to create a different path forward than what we've seen repeat itself over and over and over again at the national level. So, Mayor, you talk, you meant, go ahead, Dustin, go right ahead. I didn't say anything. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, let me just, I think we're getting some feedback here. That's okay. Uh, Mayor, just one other to follow up on that, because you, you did mention the national narrative and explain that again. When you discuss race relations with people in Fishers, what do you hear? Well, it, it, I think it as complex as as human beings are, that's how complex and diverse the answers will be. Um, there's a reluctance to have the conversation often, just like the mental health initiative. There's a denial for sure on some level. And I think part of the challenge that I've seen, particularly at times with uh, the population, uh, the white population, is that by having this conversation, somehow they get very defensive in the sense of one of two things. One, they either view it as a reflection upon um, that they somehow inappropriately got to where they are in their life, that somehow the, the, the rules were rigged and therefore the accomplishments they've made in their life that they're proud of is somehow um, minimized. Or... Uh, very personally, they take it in the sense of I'm not a racist. I've never been racist. And I think uh, one of the things that Dustin could speak to more intelligently and more eloquently than I could, but certainly is a situation, you know, there's a difference between racism and bigotry. And, and, there's, and I think a lot of people equate those two to be the same thing when you're talking to a lot of the folks uh, here in Fishers. And maybe Dustin, you could talk a little bit about those differences because we really never seem to get past the bigotry conversation and into the more um, more systemic and historical context of race in, in America. I think the definition of terms can be very important. So, Dustin, would you follow up and, and talk about the difference between bigotry and racism? Well, if we think about bigots, you know, the first folks that come to mind would be Archie Bunker or the Ku Klux Klan or Nazis, skinheads, you know, people who say awful things about other people. I think the vast majority of people in Fishers and people across the country, you know, have a disdain for that type of behavior, right? And so if we were to take all those people and, and send them to the furthest reaches of the universe, we would still have the systemic outcomes that we have. And so as we talk about racism, it's beginning to, it, it's, it calls us to look at what are the systemic outcomes? And if we look at it across every institution, whether that's health outcomes, whether that's access to 
capital wealth disparities, education outcomes, criminal justice outcomes, we will see uh, that white people are faring better than black people and all peoples of color across every institution. And so the conversation around racism, you know, Scott talked about the history. You know, most of us uh, are pretty ahistorical in this country. We've been given a, a very limited and often false uh, historical view of this country and definitely have not been given an accurate view around the construction of race and racism within the United States. And so when we first start to grab the historical context that creates the reality we see today, um, that will should propel us to start to look at the institutional outcomes. And as we understand, combining that with the socialization and understanding that we all have blind spots. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. Scott has blind spots. But if we work together and have a level of honesty and maturity around this country, because, you know, when you ask Scott about the you know, having this conversation with a, a broad array of people, and Scott would talk about the complexities. You know, by and large, as a society, we are not uh, encouraged or developed to hold emotionally heavy conversations. We're very emotionally immature as a society. And what this conversation is calling for us to do um, in the way that we're approaching it with the, with the plan and Fishers is to engage from a high level of emotional maturity. You know, like I live in Seattle, right? In Seattle, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, activism and uproar in the streets, you know, and I was a part of that for many, many years. What I came to understand is that that limits the possibilities of what, what can happen. And if we don't approach this work with emotional maturity, we're just going to be throwing words and rhetoric back and forth at each other. But the, the bottom line stays the same. And that's pretty much what we've done since the civil rights movement is, is engaged in this dichotomous oppositional conversation. And that has not moved us ahead. And so, you know, we need to develop a comprehensive understanding and analysis for all of us around what racism is and begin to make that sharp differentiation between bigotry, you know, which, again, most of us disdain and really start to understand what does it mean to approach and, and address systemic and structural outcomes that vary by race, grossly vary by race. You know, Larry, I was um, thinking about this uh last night uh, after we announced, you know, our challenge to the residents to have 500 residents go through this program, which I'm excited about. And, uh, you know, uh, my wife shared with me some social media posts that were out there where people were, you know, questioning my, um, how could I be a Republican if I'm out there trying to, trying to work on race issues? And I found that a very interesting. So I was actually mowing the lawn last night, thinking about this, where all my great ideas come from is mowing the lawn. Um, How, Could there be anything more Republican in my mind than helping each and every individual reach their true potential? Like, I don't understand um, the, I mean, I do understand it, but I don't agree with it. Maybe that's the better way to put it. The, the politicization of this, like in Fishers, if I'm the, if I'm responsible for serving and leading the community of Fishers, it's incumbent upon me in my role to help every individual reach their potential. And if there are artificial impediments in front of them, then we should, we should find creative ways to take those down. And and how are we not a better community? If every single individual has a better opportunity to reach their full potential than what they did yesterday. Like I just, I, I can't, I can't find a Republican or Democrat argument for, for why that wouldn't be a good thing. 
that's uh, interesting for you, that you would say that. You know, I go back, and I want to talk in a moment about history with, with Dustin, but uh, Mayor Fadness, I have to think back, and in the 80s and 90s, I thought to myself, who was one of the biggest proponents of, of civil rights as a white individual in the United States Congress? And I think back to a very conservative Republican named Jack Kemp. He also ran for vice president at one point. And uh, why was he so interested in race relations? You go back and Jack Kemp was a professional athlete. He was a football quarterback at the professional level. And he dealt with teammates of all backgrounds and all all types of racial backgrounds. And they all have to depend on each other when you're at a team, like especially in football. If your line is working right, you're going to be on your back as a quarterback. So you, you have to learn to rely on these people you, you, you play with. And when you would hear him talk, he would, he would talk about how his teammates would explain to him what life was like for them in terms of, you know, a lot of them made a lot of money. They had expensive cars. They, they lived in nice neighborhoods, and they were constantly being pulled over by the police, for an example. But there were other examples that his teammates would give him, and he trusted these people. He believed them. So I, my question to you after hearing what you just said is, are, is there room in the Republican Party today for people like Jack Kemp? Well, I think that's yet to be seen. Um, I think it's a very difficult time in the Republican Party. Um I think both sides, I think both parties are going through a transformation. You have uh, societal, economic uh, changes that are occurring so rapidly that I think it's kind of turning traditional norms and upending them. I certainly hope that long term that the Republican Party would be the party that recognizes the need and the desire to see every American reach their full potential regardless of race and in that our job as public servants when you get elected you're not serving one particular population you're serving all people that we would work diligently and have the competency to accomplish that um, I certainly hope that that's the party that I belong to uh, for the long term Dustin I, I want to talk about history but before I do that since the mayor brought this up how do you react to some of the the national narratives that you're hearing and how do you react and how do you advise people to take it all and digest all that? Oh, you know, most of the narrative, I mean, there's so much to look at in terms of national narratives, right? So we have a, a, a president who's doing his best to use a divide and conquer approach, right? And then sowing seeds of division, um, and, and exasperating seeds that have all already been there. Um, I think for most people it would, they would be served best as stepping away from the sensationalized conversation, um, the emotionally driven conversation and understanding that emotions are going to come up when you're cons consistently bombarded with images of black men being killed by the police. I mean, that's, that's re-traumatizing for a lot of people, right? So we got to hold that. And at the same time, understanding there's not an interest by the media to really bring forward solutions. This is keep it, the most money's made by keeping people in opposition. You know, so thinking when Scott was talking about the Republican Party, I think back to, you know, most black people switched over to the Democratic Party with John Kennedy when he made that famous phone call to Coretta Scott King when Dr. King was, you know, locked up in the Birmingham jail, right? But the Dixiecrats were the big, biggest proponents of racism uh, uh, in the history of this country, right? And then, of course, we know there was a Republican swing with Richard Nixon, with the law and order strategy, and then 
you know, George Bush Sr., Willie Horton, there was a lot of overt racism used, you know, this whole Southern strategy. And, and understanding that both parties are in, complicit in racism, have been complicit. And I think what this country is crying for is leadership outside of the DNR dichotomy, leadership that's really going to stand for something with depth and meaning. And, you know, as Scott says, that's yet to be defined when that leadership and how that leadership is going to show up. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it's helpful for people to step away from the emotional conversation and start to develop an analysis. And Larry, you know, this is to really talk about the workshop is that one of the things the workshop does for us is when we talk about racism, 50 people come in a room, 50 people have their own different understandings of what racism is. So we're often having conversations past each other. Maybe the most important thing that the workshop does is give us all a common language and a historical framework to really understand how we got to where we are. So at least we begin to start to speak the same language. So as I'm talking to Scott today, when I say racism, we have a common understanding. If, you know, three, four years ago, Scott may have thought I've just meant bigotry, right? And we're not talking the same thing. So there's no way, no basis for me and Scott to work together, right? I, uh, yeah, and I, I want to go back to, uh, to uh, interrupting racism and, and talk about history because I want to ask you a question about your program from this point of view. I talk to a lot of people. When the issue of race comes up and, and people start talking about the history of America and race relations, a lot of the pushback I get from people, you know, I had no part of that. That's what happened a long time ago. I wasn't involved in slavery. I wasn't involved in any of what's happened in the past. That was probably bad. But I have nothing to do with that. That's their argument. Yet, is it possible to really study and understand racism without understanding the history of race relations in America and even other parts of the world? No, I mean, well, let's, let's put aside the rest of the world for a second. It is impossible to understand why things are the way they are today, you know, just isolating in Indiana, why black families are, are, have a less wealth than white families, why black families, black children are more likely to be suspended in the, in the Indiana school systems across the state, um, why there's more black people per capita incarcerated in Indiana. Um, it's impossible to understand any of these realities without understanding history. And, and folks who tell you that they weren't a part of that. That's true. They weren't a part of it. None of us who exist today built this house. We've all inherited this house and we've all inherited this house, you know, operating different floors, if you will. Right. And so if you don't understand how the history that has socialized you into this political notion of whiteness, for example, or blackness, and how that thread carries forward today in terms of the outcomes you experience, then we're not having a forthright conversation. Right. So Nobody, you, me, Scott, none of us, I wasn't enslaved, me, myself, you two weren't slave owners, but the history of that very much impacts our positionality within this society today, right? And so again, the best analogy that I've heard, none of us built this house, but we're all responsible for this house today. And if we don't understand the foundation, the shaky foundation in which this house was built upon, we're not going to be able to stabilize it. Uh, bring the mayor back in here now. You talked a little about this, but but maybe uh, embellish it a bit as far as what you learned once you finished the Interrupting Racism program that Dustin puts on. Just explain to me what you walked out of that uh, when you were done knowing that you did not know before. Well, uh, the best 
And now a metaphor I guess I could use for this is going into it. I really thought I was going to get into a room and um, there's going to be 40 people sitting around in chairs talking about their own personal stories of racism or race. And um, so I thought it was going to be a regurgitation of everybody's what, what do they see uh, in the world today? And if you're, if you're a black man, you would have a very different, here's what I saw. And if, if you're a white person, you would say, here's what I saw. And it'd almost be an airing of the grievances, so to speak. Instead, what I think this did is it changed the lens for which we all saw things. And it brought a commonality to all of us uh, on how to view things. And it, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily dictate what type of um, solution that you think you should pursue. It didn't, it didn't, it wasn't prescriptive in that way to say, well, Scott, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do when you walk out the door. But instead what it did is I'm going to give you a framework, a lens, if you will, to view these difficult conversations and difficult problems that we have in America, and then use your insight, use your intellect, use your belief system along with that new lens to go out and try to identify creative solutions to address problems. I think that's what that's what appealed to me about this program um, because we've all had the conversation about what I would call the, the retail side of race relations, right? The, the, the small or large um, insults and, and, and offenses that have occurred on a daily basis. But we very seldom ever have the conversation about, well, you know, where does this come from? Why are we here? Why did this happen? What, how does it influence me? It has opened up the door for not only myself, but my leadership team. Dustin, doesn't, Dustin didn't prescribe to me when I left that meeting. In fact, he didn't know if we'd ever probably have another conversation. He didn't prescribe to me, hey, Scott, go back to Fishers and do X. Instead, it just provided me a lens through which to view my role as a community leader uh, differently than what it was before. And Dustin, you've touched on this. Uh, explain, if you would, the, the best words you can in expressing this. When people take this training that you are offering here to citizens of Fishers, once they've completed the program, what do you want them to know and what do you want when all is said and done? How, how do you, I'm not going to say you want to change them, but at least inform them, train them, help them understand the situation better. How do you want them to walk away differently than they might have thought when they walked in? Well, I, I think the, the most important thing is for people to walk away with a new sense of awareness, um, a new sense of understanding of why our society looks the way it looks and beginning to understand what is their, what is their position within this arrangement that has been created and how can they use their life energy uh, in a way that aligns with their, their spiritual beliefs, their beliefs as a part of the human family, and, and to leave with a sense of responsibility that all of us are responsible for this arrangement. And, you know, it's one thing when we walk into the room where we're not clear, right, and we don't know. Right? You can't fix a problem that you're not clear about and you don't know about. And some people have been intentionally uh, led down a path where they wouldn't necessarily know about the problem. But once you get clear on the problem, knowing and Whatever uh, realm you have influence, you have responsibility. And how, again, how can you, that person who leaves the workshop, begin to use your point of influence to impact some change and begin to take responsibility for our society? You know, one thing I just want to, because we talk about this conversation, rightfully so, very much in a white and black conversation. We know all peoples of color are also experiencing 
disproportionate outcomes across every system. But it's also important for white folks who are listening to the podcast today, if you were to take away black people and other people of color, just remove them from the nation, white people, the masses of white people will see how poorly they are really doing in the United States, especially compared to the rest of the industrial world. And so this is, this is as we do, as we create more equity for people of color in this country, that should lift up the experiences of white people as well, right? Because none of us are doing well uh, as we could be within this arrangement. You know, Mayor, I, I remember a few years ago, I was covering the school board and there was an analysis done as to how many native languages are spoken in the Hamlin Southeastern Schools, which takes, takes it a little more than the city of Fishers, but predominantly is the city of Fishers. It was an amazing number of languages. So the diversity of this community has been changed. When I moved here in 1991, there was very little diversity here. I would guess when you started as an intern, uh, this, yeah. this community was not as, as diverse as it is now. Uh, and I think what Dustin just talked about impacts uh, people uh, of color uh, in many different ways. Um, what are your feelings about that? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are becoming more diverse as a community. I think, you know, we can see 20, 25, maybe 30 percent by the time the decennial census is done uh, in terms of the number of people that are of a different color than white. And I guess I keep going back to as the leader of the city, it's incumbent upon me to try to create an environment where each and every person reaches their true potential because if 30 or 35 percent of the people that are living here are being somehow kept back from their true economic or health or socioeconomic potential, how is that in the long-term best interest of the sustainability of our city? So even if you're someone who doesn't believe the moral righteousness of treating everyone equally, which there are those people out there, the cold-hearted facts of the matter are, how is Fishers better off if 25 or 30% of our people are making 80% of the median income of everyone else? How, how is that better off? And if we can reduce impediments, and I still believe it's ultimately up to the individual, right? Every individual has to go out and apply themselves to reach their potential. And I believe in that fervently, that that is part of America, and I love that part of America. But that doesn't mean as policy leaders that we can't create the best possible environment for that individual to go pursue that, that goal. And, uh, and so for our city, I think it's incumbent upon us to get this right, or otherwise we're going to repeat the same pattern that has occurred time and time again uh, throughout metropolitan areas across our country where, you know, uh, th there's a significant portion of white people that move to a suburban community they live there for a period of time. It starts to diversify, and then uh, white people move out of that subject or that community and move on to the next. I mean, that has happened time and time and time again. And I just believe so much in the potential of the Fishers residents that we have the opportunity to change that uh, pattern and create a truly sustainable community. Staying with you for a moment, Mayor, I d just wanted to ask, uh, since you have announced and you just recently announced the program uh, for training to be available, the Interrupting, Interrupting Racism program to be available to any citizen of Fishers who wants to, to take that, um, can you give us an idea? What was, what's the initial reaction been to that, that offer? 
Uh, I believe we've had uh, in the first 12 hours, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ashley, but I think we've had 70 uh, people already sign up for the program. So that's, that's wonderful. Um, certainly there are people out there that disagree with me bringing up the topic of race um, and are upset by that uh, on some level. And, uh, and I, you know, I expected that and, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll take that and listen to that and hear that. But um, I'm also encouraged by the 70 people that have stepped forward. And my goal is to fill up those 500 as fast as humanly possible and get those people into those programs. And I, and I encourage anyone that's interested to do so. And, and really, I hope over a period of time, we, we really heighten the level of awareness and education and understanding and hopefully even empathy uh, here in our community around these difficult issues. Dustin, to bring you in, um, again, uh, this is being offered, this program, this Interrupting Racism program is going to be, as the mayor said, has already been offered. We already have 70 people, excuse me, <clears throat> that have signed up, uh, 500, up to 500 in this this first uh, go-around. Uh, I guess my, my question to you, Dustin, is if there's somebody listening to this, maybe they're on the fence, they're not really sure whether they want to take this class. And again, there's no charge for it. It's a f totally free program. But if somebody is on the fence just thinking about it, what, what would you say to that person? Well, I would encourage them to stay open to growth and, and know that if you come through this experience, which is really going to be less of a workshop and more of a conversation, if you come through this experience, there's going to be an opportunity for amazing growth. You're going to learn things about yourself about your country that maybe you weren't familiar with, uh, put some some maybe faulty beliefs to rest, and it's going to open up an avenue or an opportunity for you to really contribute to the to the health of your community, to Fishers and the larger state, and really our whole country. And so, you know, I, I most people who come through the workshop in some way, shape, or form leave uh, seeing themselves very differently. You know, I just work with a group of 35 officers um, and many of them, as you can imagine, because of the conversation happening in the country right now, came into the conversation very defensively. But one of the things we pride ourselves upon in the Soul Focus Group is always reflecting the humanity back to everyone that's in the room. And they got to hear things that they had never heard about the history of this country, you know, concepts like redlining, right, and how redlining impacts communities, um, both redlining that was legal up until 1968 and now de facto redlining. So just using that as one example, you know, they got to hear history. They got to understand socialization and how in spite of their best intent, they, they still have downloaded biases that impact how they serve other people. And the only way we can move through any of these problems is first to understand there is a problem, understand how the problem was created. Then we can start to use, you know, as Scott said earlier, our intelligence um, to so start to solve these problems. So it's an amazing opportunity for growth. And, uh, you know, I think people will get a lot out of the experience and in turn be able to contribute a lot to the city officials. Uh, Mayor, same question to you. Somebody's on the fence. They're not quite sure whether they want to participate. What's your message to them? You've been through the program. Well, I, you know, look, I think everyone's going to go in there being terrified of being labeled something. Um, being judged on some level. Uh, and, and I want to put everyone's apprehensions aside in regard to that. And I don't believe that anyone that's going in there going, well, they're just going to tell me how terrible America is or how terrible white people are. Um, that is not, that's not what this conversation is about. Um, 
there's a real opportunity, as Dustin put it, to learn and grow and 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 make our community better through hard work and and exercising our intellect and, and our values. And so, I mean, if for no other reason, out of curiosity, if you're someone who's just never been able to have the conversation or really been around it. I mean, I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota. I went to graduate school and undergrad in predominantly white places. I moved to Fishers. I mean, there is nothing, and Dustin and I, have, and I have had this conversation, there's nothing in my background that prepares me to have a conversation about race. And so when I walked into that meeting uh, for the workshop, I was certainly apprehensive because I had no idea what to say, how to say it, if I was going to offend someone, if I was going to be told all these you know, horrible things about me and what I represent. And instead, I just walked out of there going, man, I had no idea. I just had never understood the complexities of this problem. And, um, and I think I think there are a lot of people like me that are, are probably those people that would be apprehensive. And I would just encourage you to go in there with an open mind and, and, uh, and learn uh, and take something away from it. Well, I spent the last what, 40 minutes or so asking the questions, so I just want to give each of you one last chance. I'm going to have Dustin give him the opportunity first. Anything you'd like to say about interrupting racism or anything connected to our discussion, anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Dustin? Well, the only thing I would really add is just I'm excited about the possibility of what the change that's going to happen in the city of Fishers. You know, I one of the things that drove us as a as a company, the Soul Focus Group, to want to work with Fishers when Scott first approached us is a, a feeling of the sincerity of the leadership in Fishers. And, you know, I, I've been doing this work for a really long time. And, uh, you know, I've done this work, you know, in super liberal cities and very conservative areas. And so I've developed a pretty good meter for who I see as being sincere uh, and who I don't see as being sincere. And I can feel the sincerity in the city of Fishers. And I just, just really believe this, um, that, that, what comes out of this work, including the trainings, people attending the trainings can really make Fishers a life for the rest of the country and to take on a very difficult issue with grace, uh, humility and humanity. And so I would encourage everyone to this is this is a historical opportunity. I think we should always think about ourselves as historical actors. And this is a historical opportunity for this conversation to be done in a, in a, a robust way in a so-called red state. I mean, I think it's a, just a beautiful opportunity. So those who could come and be a part of this, you know, put yourself in the history and help be a part of the change. And so, you know, I'm a father, Scott's a father, and I really want our children not to have to sit 25 years from now having this conversation. And maybe even more importantly, I want Scott's children and my children to be able to sit in the room and relate to each other as human beings and solve bigger problems, you know, problems that we could have solved for a long time ago if we didn't have, uh, false impediments in our way like racism. So I see this as an opportunity to create something very different for generations to come. Um, Mayor Fadness, I'll give you that same opportunity. Well, I think as Dustin put it, this is really to me about um, lost opportunity. Uh, if we don't do this, it's, this is not about uh, judging America or where America stands today. It's about creating something even better. I mean, America is a great place now but this is such an opportunity to tap into the human potential. And, and we're going to need to do that, frankly. There are big challenges on the horizon, both internationally and, and globally, that we need to harness the, the energy and the creativity of every single U.S. citizen. And right now, we're 
we're probably not doing that to the extent that we could because of these historical impediments that we have. And the unfairness component of this is that I didn't create a lot of this. It happened before I inherited this, but that doesn't mean I'm not responsible for it. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to try this in Fishers. Um, I believe in, in the potential of Fishers residents and, uh, and I'm excited to see what comes of it. Heard, uh, Mayor Scott Fadness before him, uh, Dustin Washington. He is a senior consultant who will be running the anti-racist educational program, Interrupting Racism. Uh, the mayor has already had many people on his staff take this program, and other leaders in the community have been given the opportunity to take this. And, Mayor, just one last thing, uh, how do people sign up? Uh, they can visit our website. Uh, it's actually on our Parks Department website uh, at playfishers.com, and you can schedule up. There's a one-day course or a two-day course. It goes from really September through November. Uh, lots of opportunities uh, to be a part of it, and uh, we hope to see you there. Thank you very much, Dustin, Mayor Fadness, uh, for a great discussion on interrupting racism. This is Larry Landon. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Larry. Thanks, Larry.